It's hard to believe, but it was 2006 when we moved to New York. And um, I'm not really quick with math, but I know that's a long time ago. And um, while we are members of a wonderful church uh, in White Plains, New York, wonderful church that we were, when we look out over the congregation every Sunday, we see the mosaic of God's kingdom. Um, it is always good to be home. It's always good to come back home. And so, thank you. Thank you. And Pastor Allen, thank you. As, uh, as uh, you have transitioned into this role, uh, because my wife and I were sent out as gospel messengers when we went to Nyack College from this church uh, by our pastor, Rock Dillerman, at the time. You have now transitioned into this role, so by extension, you are now my pastor. And it is good to be here and to honor my pastor today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I want to talk uh, from this subject. It takes all of us. It takes all of us. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, as we uh, tell these stories and as we look into your word and as we uh, glean from what it is that you have to say to us tonight, open our eyes that we would see, open our ears that we would hear, open our hearts that we would receive, and open our wills that we would respond. You've already been moving by the power of your spirit. Continue to do so now, Lord. Uh, we pray for fresh anointing and fresh outpouring on this word, for this time, for this evening, for this weekend, for these people, for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. And so, like I said, it is good to be home and to be able to say home. First thing I did was I went over on Brighton Road and got a fresh Pittsburgh haircut. And as I'm sitting there and I'm hearing the banter back and forth and the, the talking and, and what's going on in the barbershop, I said, it's good to be home. But yins know that I'm not originally from Pittsburgh. You know that I'm originally from Long Island, where we say bagels and coffee. You know that I didn't originally grow up in the Christian and Missionary Alliance. I grew up in what I would call a Baptocostal church, a little black Baptocostal church in Oyster Bay, Long Island. And as part of that church, I was part of the youth fellowship. And every year, the, youth, the Maggie B. Green Youth Fellowship would go on a retreat. One year, I decided that I was going to go on the retreat with this crew. I was a, a young minister, had just been newly licensed by my church, getting connected with the other young pastors and young leaders in the uh, denomination that, that we were a part of. And so I decided I'm going to go on this retreat. And we went to this retreat center uh, in Pennsylvania that was named after someone that I hadn't heard of before. But later on in life, I began to understand the significance of that name, the significance of that retreat center, the significance of why they went there every year, and what it meant to this little association of churches that I was a part of. The name was Lot Carey. Lot Carey Retreat Center. There's something very significant about Lot Carey that I want to tell you about. 
Lot Carey was born into slavery in Charles City County, Virginia. He came to faith in Christ uh, and, and as a young man, maybe in his early 20s, and six years later, in, um, after walking with Jesus, he bought his freedom from his slave master. And his heart was burning for the country from which his ancestors the, the, uh, hailed. And um, he, wanted to, he wanted to go back to this continent that his country was a part of. And Lot, Lot Carey put together a team of missionaries, and they went, set sail in 1821 for the continent of Africa. They first landed in Sierra Leone. And about a year later, they moved to Liberia. And the Lot Carey Baptist Foreign, Foreign, uh, Baptist Foreign Missions Convention was established in his name and in his honor and in his memory. And it serves today in countries of Haiti and India and Jamaica and South Africa. Let me share with you Lot Carey's own words that have been recorded as to why he had a passion for missions and why he had a passion for carrying the gospel, specifically to the continent from which his ancestors hailed. This is what he says. This step is not taken to promote my own fortune, nor am I influenced by any sudden impulse. I have counted the cost and have sacrificed all my worldly possessions to this undertaking. By the way, uh, he had become a man of some means, and he gave it all up in order to carry the gospel to the continent of Africa. Let me continue on. He says, I'm prepared to meet imprisonment or even death in carrying out the purpose of my heart. It may be that I may behold you no more on this side of the grave, but I feel bound to labor for my brothers, perishing as they are in the far distant land of Africa. For their sake and for Christ's sake, I am happy in leaving all and venturing. You see, until I had learned about Lot Carey and the significance of that name and the significance of that man and the significance of that ministry, my only idea of missions amongst African Americans was the missionary prayer band that would sit on the right in the church and make sure they would go out and visit the sick and the shut-in in the church that I grew up in. And now I'm finding out there's a significant history here when it comes to those of African descent in carrying the gospel. Here's another such person, Betsy Stockton. Let me tell you about Betsy Stockton. I just learned about her recently. During the 19th century, uh, the only women who were on the mission field were the wives of the men who served as missionaries. And into this narrative, into this picture, into this place comes this woman named Betsy Stockton. And she's known as the first single female missionary that was sent from North America. The first single female missionary. Team, the team of which she was a part set their sights on the Sandwich Islands known today as Hawaii. It was not only significant that she was the first single missionary, but out of a team of 11 people that she went with, she was the only black person and the only woman 
the first single woman to serve as a foreign missionary was a black woman. Movements have been birthed amongst the African-American community in carrying the gospel to other countries. One such movement is one that I've come to know about, uh, the National African-American Missions Council. It is a, a mighty movement. National African-American Missions Council, recap, uh, they, they work to reconceptualize the world through the challenging to the status quo and recalling the rich historical presence of the African-American Christian to reshape the future of missions. This is from their website. Uh, NAAMC, or NAMIC as it's known, is recognized globally as a trailblazer in the world of missions and sets the standard for excellence in mobilizing African Americans and people of color. All connected with the Baptist church. And remember, I grew up Baptocostal. So as I was learning about this, I was learning about my history. And then something happened when I was a, a high schooler, uh, getting ready for college. God spoke to me after I was set to go to one place. God spoke to me in April of my senior year. And out of nowhere, I said to my dad, I'm going to Nyack College. Now, you have to know I knew nothing about Nyack. I didn't even know there was a town called Nyack. I knew nothing about the Christian Missionary Alliance. In fact, when I got to Nyack College uh, and everyone's asking, are you Alliance? I called my dad. I said, what's going on here? We read the doctrinal statement. This sounds a little shaky to me. But then something happened in my sophomore year, the fall of my sophomore year. An international worker came and spoke in chapel. I don't remember his name. Quite honestly, I don't remember much of his message but I heard him talk about this man named A.B. Simpson. And I heard him talk about A.B. Simpson's passion for reaching the lost and the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized. And I heard him talk about how this movement grew out of a heart of A.B. Simpson for missions, but also out of a heart of A.B. Simpson for justice. And it was the first time that I had heard outside of my church people talking about the gospel not as bifurcated as the social gospel and the gospel of salvation, but that it is going like this. And my heart was stirred. And God spoke to me and said, this is the family that I'm calling you to. By the way, a lot of narrative tonight, so I just want to let you know that whether you're here or whether you're watching online, we've got some stories tonight. And as I listened, he began to talk about names, missionaries, international workers that were of significance to the Christian and Missionary Alliance. But it would be years before I heard names that weren't mentioned on that morning. Let me tell you about a few. Robert Page. Robert Page was part of Missionary Training Institute, class of 1890. Missionary Training Institute is now known as Nyack College. 
He was chosen to be one of the first Alliance missionaries ever to go to Congo. During the time that he went, the Alliance paid for a hundred new missionaries to be set in one single year. People sacrificed. They were not only giving money, they were giving jewelry. Some of them were uh, their very last dime because they were so passionate to get the gospel to other nations. And Robert Page was part of that first class of missionaries that went out. He ended up being um, a teacher in the Alliance Congo School for Boys. That's where he served as, an, as a missionary teacher. Let me tell you about another person, Montrose Waite. Montrose Waite. Reverend Montrose Waite was born in Jamaica, but later after migrating to the U.S., he became a, a U.S. citizen. And somewhere along the line in his path, he met, he met Dr. Simpson. And Dr. Simpson was so impressed with his heart for reaching the lost that Dr. System, Dr. System, um, Simpson arranged to pay all of his expenses so that Reverend Montrose Waite could get a, con college a, a college education at the Missionary Training Institute. After graduation, Reverend Waite uh, went to Sierra Leone, and there he met and married another Missionary Training Institute graduate who was on the field at that time by the name of Ella Mae Scott. Unfortunately, Ella Mae died, and uh, Montrose did eventually marry again um, with another Missionary Training Institute graduate, another African-American in Missionary Training Institute graduate. Her name was Anna Marie Morris. And they served with the CNMA until the end of World War II. Now, um, Dr. Uh, Reverend uh, Waite and his wife had a lot of children, and there was a, a limit to the number of children that you could have that would be supported. So when they came back, uh, they decided that they were still going to go back overseas, but they were going to raise their own support. And in the process of raising their own support, he established what was known as the Afro-American Missionary Crusade. So he started a missions organization of his own. He raised his own support, and he took his family back to Africa, where they settled in Liberia. Carrie Merriweather. Let's talk about Carrie. Miss Carrie Merriweather was also a graduate of the Missionary Training Institute. Word got out that the field in Sierra Leone was looking for more workers, and she quickly said yes to the call. So she inspired people with her response. That eight, uh, that, uh, so she so inspired them that later on, eight other people joined her in this. Now remember, we talked about Betsy Stockton being the first single missionary woman to go out. Here's Carrie following in her footsteps. She settled in the Caranco area of, of, of Sierra Leone, and, and um, her life's passion became ministering to the people there. Unfortunately, she uh, became ill, and that illness ended her, her overseas career, but it didn't end her passion for missions. And she uh, traveled all over, sharing her heart and her vision, challenging every young person that she came in contact with to consider going and serving the Lord overseas. One last couple here. Mr. and Mrs. J.L. Trice. Here's the picture of the Trices. 
they, along with, they along with their baby. You see their, uh, their baby and the, some of the students that uh, they had the pleasure of teaching. And they went and found it, uh, and they did their service as teachers in Sudan. They founded a school there and began to educate as they were working. Now, I want you to see this next picture here. It's Robert Page and, Jail and the Trice family. Um, uh, you, you put them, I want to put them side by side there. The reason why I want to do that is because this single guy and this couple are very significant in the history of the Christian Missionary Alliance. They were the first African-American missionaries ever to be sent out by the CNMA. And they were part of the first group of African-American missionaries sent out. Not too long after I began to sense God's call into the Alliance, uh, several years later, I, I met someone uh, by the name of Donna Baptiste. Let me show you Donna's picture. I met Donna while I was a college student. She was a seminary student. She had already graduated from nursing school and had served as a nurse and felt God's call into ministry. So she was the nurse at Nyack College when I was a student. Tell you about Donna's call. She now serves as the associate pastor of Clarendon Road Church in Brooklyn. And she also has a ministry called Donna Baptiste Ministries. But I got to, I got to hear her story. After graduate school, she went to Albertville, France, where she learned French. And then she landed in Mali with the CNMA in West Africa, where she learned the Malian language of Bambara, and she served the Malian people for seven years before the Lord shifted her back to ministry here in the U.S. She was involved in discipleship, and she was involved in raising up leaders. And if you hear Donna today, I think she's spoken here at Allegheny Center. Uh, if you hear her today, there is a passion in her soul and a passion in her heart. And she is working in the church where she serves to raise up new international workers. Friends, the history of the alliance in the area of missions mobilization is filled with black women and men. Yet today, when we look at our stats, here's the guesstimate of the number of people of African descent in the U.S. as part of our force. Only 0.3% of the 700 plus international workers currently serving with the U.S. CNMA are African American of African descent, of African descent. Only 0.3%. That number's down from 2017 when the percentage was guesstimated to be about 4%. About 4 now, you keep hearing me say guesstimate. I'm saying guesstimate because we don't necessarily track the ethnicity of those who served as international workers, but that would be the picture. You saw the history, but that's the picture today. Why am I focusing on the history of African-Americans in international missions? Well, first, to bring awareness to the rich history and contributions of African-Americans in missions. That's something we rarely hear about, but something that should be widely discussed because there is a rich history there. But second, I want you to see that the Alliance has a rich history of sending 
multi-ethnic, multicultural, uh, multi-background people to reach people in other countries. And they have a rich history of African Americans involved in that. Take a look at this photo. This is a picture of Dr. A.B. Simpson and the students from the Missionary Training Institute, uh, now known as Nyack College. If you look at that photo, you will see that that is a guesstimate of the class. That's about one third of the class that was being trained at that time to be international workers. All of them of African descent. All of them of African descent. That's a, a significant drop to be at 0.3% today. However, we live in a day and a time where that number can and should be increased. Why? Because all of Jesus, for all the world, takes all of us. All of Jesus, for all the world, takes all of us. That's our vision in the Alliance. All of Jesus for all the world. I will never forget at General Council when that vision was announced, the last General Council, an international worker got up and was speaking afterwards. And she said, yes, all of Jesus for all the world, but it's going to take all of us. In Matthew 24, 14, after Jesus predicting the things that are to come and the things that will happen and the signs of the end of the age, he says this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. The gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of, of Christ's salvation, the gospel of Christ's healing, the gospel of Christ's justice, the gospel of Christ's righteousness, the gospel of Christ tearing down the wall that has divided us, and the gospel to unite us. Siri is picking up on that. I apologize. Um, the gospel that, you know, we were divided and now Christ unites us. That gospel is to be carried to the whole world, but it takes all of us to do it. It takes all of us giving. It takes all of us praying. It takes all of us proclaiming. But it also takes all of us, if I may say this, casting vision to the communities least represented amongst our group of international workers and saying to those communities, you're needed. You bring something to the table that is important for us to have. And particularly when it comes to African Americans and those of African descent, you bring a rich history of innovative ways of sharing the gospel that must still be on the table. Because in that day when others were saying it can't, that first group of international workers that you saw were saying we can. And some of our first martyrs for the cause of Christ in the alliance were of African descent. We need to keep this message before a, a group that's least represented amongst our international workers. We need to keep this message. Number one, that Jesus' call to go and make disciples includes all people groups and ethnicities. We need to get that message out. His call to go and make disciples includes all people groups and ethnicities.
Matthew 28, 18 says this. Uh, then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Notice that command was given to his followers. And if you know any history about the early church, he had a diverse group of followers. Nobody looked exactly the same. And amongst the people of that command to go were people who were black and brown skinned, of African descent. All of Jesus for all the world takes all of us. And his command to go includes all people, groups, and ethnicities. Second, it's important to get this message out to those who are least represented among our mission force. The Holy Spirit's anointing to spread the gospel includes all people, groups, and ethnicities. The anointing of God is not just for a specific group. It's for all groups. Acts 2.1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And they were staying in Jerusalem. God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven were there. And look at this. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these people who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the part of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue. Just for sake of time, Peter goes on to remind them that God said that his spirit would be poured out on all flesh. And sons and daughters would prophesy. And young men would see visions, old men would dream dreams. But I want you to catch that list of people represented. From the Middle East. From Asia from Africa, and it says that 3,000 came to faith that day. And if you know the, the history of the early church, of those 3,000, there were people being added to them daily. So that means there were daily people being added from Asia, from the Middle East, from Africa, and that the church faces persecution and the church scatters, and instantly you have missionaries going everywhere because of persecution. But amongst that group are people of African descent. I'd like to throw something else out there to you. Um, leadership in the first century church includes all people groups and all ethnicities. Leadership includes all people groups. And all ethnicities. Uh, Acts 13. Now the church at Antioch there were prof at church in Antioch there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, 
uh, Simon, Simeon called Niger, which uh, some translate says Simeon the Black. Lucius of Cyrene, a place not too far from Egypt. Uh, Manan, who, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now, we don't have this passage uh, up, up there, but I, I just want to note, it was while this group was worshiping and fasting that God says, set apart Saul, Paul, Paul and Barnabas for the work that I have for them. Of this group that was sending were those of African descent. It's also important to note that Mark, one of Jesus' disciples, um, uh, uh, one, the one who authored the Gospel of Mark, was from Cyrene. It's an African country that bordered Egypt on the west. Do you ever think about that? The one who wrote the Gospel of Mark was of African descent. <laughs> Let's look at Dr. Simpson's picture again. Let's look at the class. Can you imagine that this group has influenced missions in the Christian and Missionary Alliance today? That group is a part of my story. Let me tell you why I say that. I really didn't know much about missions until I got a, became a part of the Christian Missionary Alliance. And the very first time I went on a short-term missions trip was through Allegheny Center. You sent me. You not only sent me once, you sent me three times. Actually, take that back, you sent me four times. Twice to Africa, once to Central America, and once to South America. Let me tell you what I experienced both times you sent me to Africa. I would talk to people, some who were part of the, the National Church and the Alliance there. And here's what I heard every time. It's good to see you. Will you go back and tell others like you? We'd like to see them too. All of Jesus, for all the world, it takes all of us. And it will take all of us to tell the least represented populations amongst our international workers, God's call very well may be on you. And you too can go. I've been told as I wrap this up that uh, uh, in the last 10 years, about 38 people have been sent from Allegheny Center. Since 2010, about 38 people have been sent from Allegheny Center. Of those 38 people, one was of African descent. And she is now serving as a medical physician in an African country. I want to give my family this challenge. In the next 10 years, let's double that. And in the next 10 years, when you look back, 
May it be said of Allegheny Center like it was said of that first graduating class from the Missionary Training Institute. One third or more of the people that we sent were of African descent. Because there is a rich history of missions within the African American community and those of African descent. There's a rich history that it's time for us to recapture. Will you take up that charge and send?